the AFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Mojo Sports AFL Podcast. My name is Nathan Jennings. I'm jumping in the host seat today. Uh, unfortunately, Callum can't be with us. Uh, hopefully, I can live up to his expectations. And as always, uh, we've got Ash here joining me tonight. Ash, how you going, mate? Pretty good. Um, nice weekend of footy and glad the Byron's finally over so we can get a full nine games each week. Yes. Now, uh, very exciting. We are finally through the four by rounds, um, which have seen you know a series of games played across those four weekends. And now we're into the exciting nine, uh, nine final rounds run into September and a lot to cover tonight. So right off the top, we're going to jump into it. We're not going to muck around tonight. The biggest topic probably of the AFL at the moment is West Coast. Now, obviously coming off a, a very, very disappointing showing on the weekend, 171-point defeat, conceding 205 uh, points against Sydney at the SCG on Saturday afternoon. Now, we can run through all the stats and all the records that were broken in that game, but I probably want to take a step back and look at it from, from a bigger picture. And where this leaves West Coast as a club? Now, Ash, I've got my thoughts around where West Coast should potentially head or what's next for them. But I'm going to throw it to you first. Obviously, it's massively disappointing for them. Um, where to next as a club? Not just for this year, but beyond. You know, there's there's several there's several issues from administration levels, from player injuries, um, you know, the coaches, you know, are under pressure, I guess, but the club are backing him. What's the direction? Where do you sort of see West Coast needing to go in the next couple of years to sort of return to the dominance and the power how has they are, I guess. Well, it's, it's a really interesting situation because I think very rarely do you see coaches, um, especially undergoing that sort of rebuild phase who are on such a long-term contract like um, Adam Simpson is currently on, which makes things a bit tricky financially if they were to let him go. So whether they're going to come to some sort of mutual agreement, whether it's this year, next year, whenever, to sort of step aside and sort their financials out, you know, separate from his current contract. I'm, I'm not sure, but clearly if Adam Simpson is the man, he's he's going to be confident and the club has to be confident and the senior players have to be confident that he's going to see through the rebuild and help them push into finals and potentially a, a, a premiership tilt. I think if there is any doubt that he's not going to be there at the end, then I think you've got to sort of cut your losses and, and, and find someone new who can take this club into a new direction at the moment off the field. On the field, I think it's sort of um, tricky with the players because they still have a, a quite a talented list. So it's really hard to sort of see where things are sort of going wrong because individually, you know, you've got a lot of stars. So I reckon West Coast have to start bringing in as much draft capital as they can don't fall into the trap of doing sort of a half rebuild and sort of keeping a few of the senior players in. I think guys like Tim Kelly, you sort of got to cut your losses and agree that that trade didn't work. They went all in and sort of potentially seek a new home while he's got a bit of trade value. And while sort of he's still somewhat young enough to find a new club, guys like Duggan, um, she, Jaden Hunt, who's probably getting close to his peak and still has a little bit of value. Um, Elliot Yo potentially, if they were to sort of explore that path and um, know they're out that sort of, I reckon, Barris and McGovern potentially looking for new homes. So it's going to be hard because they're aging, but I, there's a lot of talent there, which I think they can potentially sort of look to ship off. And, yeah, it's a tough few years because it doesn't look like they're quite 
at the bottom yet either. So um, I feel for them as a Carlton supporter. I know how it feels like. In fact, probably I've seen a bit more pain. At least they've won a premiership in the last five years, whereas we haven't even made finals in the last 10 years. So look, enough <laughs> Carlton talk. I'll throw it back to you, Nathan. I think it's a really interesting one as well. And as you sort of mentioned, a lot of coaches don't survive this. So the previous biggest margin before this one was um, Melbourne being defeated by about 180 odd points, I believe, by Geelong back in 2011. And Dean Bailey, the coach at the time, got um, you know got let go of from his job pretty much immediately. Um, so weirdly now, Adam Simpson is surviving this. I guess the one that I want to put back to you, Ash, is you think about, you know, the number of young kids at West Coast have had come through the door over the last two to three years with, you know, a series of high draft picks because of their position on the ladder. Normally, the development phase would see them play a lot of waffle football or BFL, you know, whatever league they're playing in, sort of, you know, um, you know, work on their craft, build a good fitness base, you know, in the gym, bigger, bigger and stronger. So when they are then thrust into that AFL environment, they're a lot more ready than what they are right now. And I think, you know, West Coast is this really, really interesting situation where, they, as you've said, they've got a lot of really good top-end talent that at times do struggle to stay in the park. Then a lot of, you know, talent that isn't ready for the AFL yet. And it's a big development because of the injuries where they've been thrust into the AFL when they're not ready. Um and exposed as opposed to having those couple of years at that waffle, you know, reserves level um, to, you know, become a player of AFL level and then come into the team and have the impact. Which sort of leads me to my next question around what West Coast then do with the number one draft pick. Now, you know, Harley reads the, um, you know, the talk of the town as being that player. Would you look to pick him as the number one or knowing that as an 18-year-old, not from Western Australia as well, there's a high possibility that he leaves the club in a couple of years or do West Coast really go to that rebuild phase, split those picks and get as many you know, picks, whether it's in this upcoming draft or drafts in the future to sort of really try and build around these young kids and that's their direction going forward? Yeah, um, I'll answer the first part of that question. and I think I hate to bring this back to Carlton again, but sort of, what what I see with West Coast at the moment with because of their injuries, having all these young kids playing, it reminds me a lot how under Brendan Bolton at Carlton, sort of through 2015, 16, 17, we saw the likes of, um, you know, Paddy Dow, Lockie O'Brien, Petrescu, Seaton, Will Setterfield, Zach Fisher, all playing games in the seniors' side when they didn't deserve it. And while at that time it seemed like a fantastic idea, get games into the young kids, lots of experience playing at AFL level. In return, they missed a large chunk of their crucial development, which they would have had um, in the VFL, comes with confidence and all that sort of stuff. So on one hand, sort of it's great to be getting games into them. On the other hand, I think I've seen sort of from my own point of view, how much, how important it is to sort of earn, earn your spot in the side, have a bit of selection pressure, and with that, sort of build your game and your confidence around that. Around that pick number one, I think I've been pretty vocal on here before that very rarely does the, uh, the, the first selected player in the draft end up being the best player in five, 10 years' time, especially when you're an um, interstate club from Victoria where most of the draftees come from. It, I think it's not that smart to be picking. Um, so West Coast currently only have one first rounder. Um, you know, you would ideally be looking to get a few – I know that Melbourne last year to pick one were, were pretty sort of active in, in potentially moving up the draft order. Once again, they have two 
um, first rounders this year from the Luke Jackson trade. Um, North Melbourne have two first rounders as well. Um, and the Bulldogs do as well. So it, it's interesting to me. Can we potentially see a three-way trade similar to like we saw last year um, to get that number one pick and that two and three, which North Melbourne were, were around. I think the smartest thing is to trade out the number one uh, draft pick. Um, I, I fear for West Coast being a similar situation to uh, Jason Horn Francis last year. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I don't see a world where West Coast pick one. I think they have to the picks and get as much draft capital, capital as possible. Um, and, and then look to invest in their homegrown talent because, you know, as we've seen with Ruben Jimby coming coming into the club this year, there is talent here in WA. Um, I think it's just about trying to develop that as much as possible. And I think now from a West Coast perspective, look, you know, they run home regardless of who they're playing is going to be tough. And I think it starts this weekend at home against St Kilda and having to put in a solid four-quarter effort to sort of, you know, make their fans proud and sort of show some promise in this in this back end of the season, I think. But look, we'll move on from West Coast now. We'll, we'll, we'll look at the, at the Friday night game between Brisbane and St Kilda now. A lot said about this game. Brisbane and their road record has been a sort of talking point for a number of years now as whether they can get over that hump and become a true premiership contender. And then the sort of the revival of St Kilda with, with Ross Lyon and Ultimately, Brisbane ended up running over him. What was a pretty good uh, performance on Friday night? Ash, now I think probably the one that I'll throw to you is we've, we've spoken so much about Brisbane's road credibility. And, okay, sure, they won in Melbourne, but it was at Marvel. So Premiership not won at Marvel Stadium, they won at G. So I want to, before I throw it to you, I do want to get your take on, you know, that this win is credible enough for them and their, their case to be able to win away from the Gabber in big games. But they're currently 4-4 four and four on the road this year. So... Their four wins have come against North Melbourne, which, which was actually in Mount Barker, um, I believe, against North Melbourne in Gather Round, and then GWS, Pelton, and St Kilda at Marvel. So the the two there, GWS and Pelton, probably not playing finals, and then St Kilda, a team that probably is going to be on the fringe of finals, so a bit questionable there. And then their four road losses this year are against Port Adelaide, the Western Bulldogs in Adelaide, who are all you know can either lock into or are contending for finals, and then Hawthorne at the MCG. So, Ash, I'll throw it to you. So what do you take from their victory and whether or not they sort of have got that credibility on the road now? I think so. I think it it hasn't done any harm. Um, obviously, that record at the MCG still stands and is pretty terrible. Um, so I guess the proof is in the pudding. Um, you can win all the games you want throughout the year at Melbourne and interstate but unless you do it in the big games and in the finals, that, that's when it really matters. So I think good signs from Brisbane that once again, a true premiership contender. On the other hand, for St Kilda, I'm not sure if you can really say the same anymore. Uh, I think things have sort of slowly fallen away from them, fallen away from them in a similar fashion to probably last year. Um, so who, who really knows? Do you, do you reckon St Kilda will, will sort of bounce back or do you think they're going to sort of slowly die away similar to last season? St Kilda's season has been very, very interesting. So they obviously started very, very well. I think five and one there or thereabouts after the first six rounds. And then there was a period of about about six weeks where they went win-loss, 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 and they couldn't string more than two wins in a row. And now they've come off their bye and had a good win in in Sydney, which we sort of go, okay, that's that's a good win. You know, Sydney are hit and miss this year, but 
never easy up there at the SCG. And then two, you know, tough losses against Richmond and um, Brisbane. It's trending very much in the way that they sort of finished the season last year. As you mentioned, they were sort of flirting around that top two, top four for the first half and then faded hard. The thing that I find really, really interesting, though, is that, you know, we spoke a lot in the early part of the season about the injuries they had and the key players they were missing. They've, they survived that part of the season and, you know, five and one, I think they were. And then as they've integrated all their stars back in, Max Kinn, you know, Membry, um, Jack Steele came back in as well. They've been inconsistent and, I'm not sure whether that's just a product of who St Kilda are as a team in that development phase still with Ross. But probably the biggest thing is their defensive game has dropped off and that's obviously something that Ross has held his hat on for as long as he's been a coach in the AFL. I think over the last couple of weeks, they've sort of started to be exposed a little bit more there. So um, they have no problem winning the ball at the source. You know, Jack Steele, Wynn Hager, Brad Crouch in the middle, Rowan Marshall, Rowan Marshall sorry, is a formidable buck. They've got a reasonable forward line as well. And they also have a reasonable back line. So, you know, I'm sort of trying to find – I'm finding it hard, I guess, to put my finger on exactly what's going on. But I guess, you know, they've at least gone through the hard part of their schedule and won the games they needed to win. So, Ash, we'll go through a little bit later on around where we think teams are going to end up. I am concerned about St Kilda. Um, I'm not sure if you've got anything else to add, but I, I am sort of putting them on alert despite, you know, the fact they'll play West Coast and beat them up handsomely this week and I would have thought. Yeah, um, it's funny. This time last year, they were also eight and six. So, look, we'll see where they go from here. And um, you, you mentioned, Nathan, sort of defensively, saying that um, Ross Lyon has really been able to hang his hat on. And over the last three games, sorry, over the last three losses, so um, from the last four weeks, the average points against is almost 90. It's at over 87. So it's something that's really, really fallen off from the start of the year. Um, and yeah, I, I guess we'll see from here. Um, it's going to be a really interesting finish to the end of the season. Yeah, agreed. I think we're all sort of wondering if St Kilda can hang on to that top eight um, spot. And talking about top eight teams, we're going to fast forward now to a Sunday afternoon at the G and what was quite possibly the game, not only of the round, but the 2023. Now, obviously, as a Crow supporter, it hurt to watch, but my gosh, it was a great game of football. And Ash, is there a real possibility now that Collingwood and Adelaide have played the two best games of the season, going back to round seven where Collingwood chased down Adelaide in the fourth quarter to win by a point? And then much the same again um, on Sunday where they, they came back and ended up getting the Crows by two. Have the Crows in Bollywood now played at the two best games so far this season? Potentially. It's going to be hard to beat, that's for sure. Um, and once again, in Collingwood fashion, they just do it again. They just find a way to do it again. And I'm, I'm jealous. Uh, but, yeah, what they're doing is is just so hard to do, you know, from a coaching perspective, from a fitness perspective, from a mindset perspective, um, it, it's just crazy, especially with the with the really bad, it was the second quarter or, or the third quarter where the Crows yeah. sort of had their big jump and, and sort of to, to stay with it and, and fight back is just, it, it's crazy. I don't remember the last time we've seen a team so consistently, you know, be able to provide um, – in such high pressure, high intensity, high scoring, close games, 
Um, and, and they play similar types of footy, Adelaide and, and, and Collingwood. It's really exciting to watch. Um, and, and they're great teams. So how, how did it feel for you as an Adelaide supporter? I was cheering for you. Um, it's a ro- it was a roller coaster of a game, that's, that's for sure. Like the first quarter, inaccuracy killed us. The second quarter, we we just weren't at, um you know we weren't on the mark um you know Collingwood sort of got that flowing ball movement game going and I think you know with where the Crows are at in their development still their inability to sort of find that circuit breaker to stem the flow of goals or momentum and be able to get the game back onto their terms sort of hurt them in that third uh, in that second quarter sorry and then probably the four the third quarter as you touched on then seven goals to none um. I can't remember the last time I saw Collingwood look as vulnerable as they did, I guess. Um, but, again, it comes back to that inaccuracy that, you know, Collingwood kicked first goal of the fourth quarter and in the pits to my stomach I felt sick because the second um, they kicked that goal I've gone, this is deja vu, I've seen this happen before um, only, you know, two months ago. And then the fact that Collingwood, you know, did what they did and overran the Crows then, look, it sucks. Um, because that gets you zero premiership points in what's going to be a very tight race for the top eight. It, one from a Crows perspective, shows that they're on the right track. You know, they're not far off. They've lost to the top team and, you know, the premiership favourite by a combined three points this year. Um, so from that perspective, you've got to hold your head high. But then me being the guest, the, um, you know, the harsh Crows critic at times is that, you know, that gets you zero premiership points when realistically... Um, I think the fun talking point out of this one as well is the fact now that Taylor Walker leaves the common medal. Um, he now has taken over the mantle from Charlie Turner by a goal. Obviously, it's helped that, you know, the round before the their by that played West Coast and he kicked 10. What do you reckon? Does he hold on or, or or being a sort of an older statesman of the game, does he fade and maybe not, not hang on to that? It'd be fun if he did, but I'm not sure if he will. Um. Look, my Carlton supporter bias is going to say no, he doesn't because they want Charlie Kerner to go back to back. But realistically, he's you know he's kicked fifteen of his uh, is it thirty yeah, something goals, three goals this 43, year, not 33, 43. He's kicked fifteen of his forty three goals over the last two weeks. I don't think that's probably as consistent, especially sorry as um yeah as. That's what I'm looking for. I don't, I don't think he can sort of be consistent it, yeah. with that a- across the season. Yeah. Um, and look, he's already got – oh, no, he doesn't have a Coleman medal. No. So this no, is the interesting, interesting thing yeah. with Taylor Walker is that he, he's made uh, – he, he's never won a Coleman medal and he's never been um, awarded an All-Australian um, Blazer either. So he's been in the extended squad a couple of times but never made the um, – Squad, I think, you know, to sort of, um, you know, close this one off, I guess, Ash, the interesting one is that in round 24, the Crows come to Perth and play West Coast. Now, that, that game could have a, a plethora of implications, not just for the Coleman medal with Taylor potentially winning, but also with the Crows and, you know, needing to win or getting a certain percentage to win. So that'd be really, really interesting, I guess. Before we do move on from this game, we'll probably just switch back to Collingwood for a second um, to touch on them a little bit more. They're obviously top of the ladder. They've been the most dominant team for the best part of the last two years. I guess, and again, small sample size, but we've sort of seen Melbourne who beat them on the King's birthday before the buyback in round 14. And then 
Adelaide for large portions of the game um, troubled them, I guess, or, you know, sort of make them adapt and change the way they play. My question to you, Ash, is despite the ladder looking as top-heavy as it is with Collingwood and Port, do we think Collingwood are vulnerable or are these just little blimps along the way for what we still think will possibly be a premiership season for them? Unfortunately, I don't, I don't think so. I reckon, um, I reckon they're going to sort of back it up in the back half of the season and have a strong finals sort of period where it leads to a premiership or a grand final. Who knows? I hope not. But I reckon it's probably pretty likely and um, I reckon they'll have to be premiership favourites. Um, crazy. It's also interesting to think what, what could have happened in both this week against the Crows and, and the game a few months ago against the Crows if Adelaide had kicked a bit more accurately. Two goals, eight, I think it was at halftime this game. Last game was three goals, ten at halftime. So uh, got to make the most of your chances, but um, disappointing. I'm sure even more disappointing for you. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I, I choose the fact to ignore that if you add those eight points on, we're a top four team and Collingwood's third, but we'll move on. Ash, are there any other teams or games that you want to touch on from the weekend before we move into our fantasy segment? I'm happy to move into fantasy. Excellent, which makes me happy because I've been struggling in fantasy all year. It's, you know, I, I think I have a good team. I think I make good moves every single week and I don't. Across the buy rounds, I try to be as planned as possible to try and move up the rankings, and it finally came into fruition for me in round 15. I had my highest score of the buy period. I scored 2,118, which ranked me 2,564 for the week, which is my highest ever weekly ranking as an AFL fantasy player. It also then meant that overall from the buy rounds, I moved up 11,000 spots in the rankings. It probably means nothing in the scheme of things considering I'm ranked 18,000, but it at least is validation that, you know, my buy planning was was good. Um, it was probably disappointing that I couldn't captain Tim Taranto this week, but I did. Uh, I took Josh Dunkley's uh, vice captaincy on Friday night. His score was good enough for me, so I ironically put the captaincy on, um, on Tim Taranto despite him having the buy. My team's come out looking all right, I guess. I've got two rookies on the field at the moment, so I've still got Matt Johnson from Fremantle on uh, on the field in the midfield. And then um, Sheldrick from Sydney, who was a scoring machine with a break-even of negative 69 as my F6, who will make plenty of money. Um, I guess at this stage, I'm probably looking to move on Ruben. Uh, well, I will be moving on Ruben Gimby this week, so I'll move him up Sam Doherty, and I'll probably look to move one of my bench rookies down to um, Elijah Hewitt to make a little bit of money, which pretty much locks in my back line for the rest of the year um, with then, you know, eight rounds to go to try and get my team as close to being finished as possible, I guess. So fingers crossed my season is only upwards from here, but, you know, it, I'm not winning a highlights. I'm not getting a cap. We've said it all year, but... The game is addictive and it keeps you coming back every year, so we'll try again. But, Ash, how did you get through the buys? I, I saw in our group chat throughout the four rounds it was a bit strategic from you. Talk us through that strategy and what your team's looking like, mate. If by strategic you mean I was tanking this week with uh, 14 players on the field, then I, you'd be completely correct. Um, so with 14 players, I score 15-66. And you might be wondering, well, Ash, why did, why did you tank with only 14 players? Um, that's because I knew 
I was going to do pretty crap anyway. So I thought I'd rather, um, I'd rather focus on my team post buys and try and bring in as many primos as possible than, um, than do whatever I was going to do throughout the buys. Um, look, this week I brought in uh, Sinclair, who I think is going to hopefully have a field day against West Coast. Um, I've upgraded Rory Atkins to him, so that's nice. And I downgraded Sam Walsh to a rookie, which kills me because I love Walshy. And although he has been playing pretty decent um, over the last sort of period, his um, last five game average is 86 and his last three game average is 76. So the value on him is pretty terrible. I think Chera, if you're looking for someone with value from Carmen, definitely has taken that from him mm-hmm. and I have to downgrade him. Of course, you don't trade out a Carlton player without trading in another Carlton player. And I've brought in Jackson Bins, who I'm hoping will debut this week. Nice winger has been racking it up in the VFL uh, DPP status and uh, pretty cheap. Hopefully he plays this week for Matt Cottrell, who was suspended. And I hope they bring in Bins to debut instead of Lockie O'Brien, please. Uh, if I ask for one thing, this is it. So, yeah, there, there are no other rookies. It, it, it sucks. So, yeah, that's all for me. Out of match committee, if you're listening, bring in Bins. Bring in the Bins. All right, Ash. So we're going to move on from a depressing part of our AFL season and into something that I find really, really interesting. So we're, we're, we're past the buy rounds now, so the ladder is now sort of looking more stable as opposed to the last four weeks when it was a little bit of a, you know, um, uneven, I guess, because teams haven't had the same amount of games. So as a Crow supporter specifically who's hanging on to eighth spot at the moment, I've been doing ladder predictors for weeks to see if we can make the finals or not. So what I've asked Ash to do is uh, is do a who's in and who's out of the top eight. So just as a snapshot, we've got Collingwood and Port Adelaide uh, first and second at the moment. Brisbane, two games behind them now in third. Melbourne hanging on to fourth with St Kilda, Essendon and the Bulldogs fifth, sixth and seventh on 32 points. This is then where it gets very, very interesting. We've got the Crows in eight, Geelong, Gold Coast and Fremantle all on 28 points. Richmond on 26, which is kind of unique with that draw. That could be a difference maker as well. And then I'm going to go as far down as Sydney in 13th on 24 points and GWS on 24 as well as teams that could potentially make the finals. So we're talking about 14 teams who can realistically fit into, oh, sorry, no, pardon, uh, what's that? It'll be 10 teams that can fit into four spots potentially. Now, some of them are not going to make it because of their run and just they're not there in their development yet. But, Ash, I've played the game, but I want to throw to you first. Of the top eight right now, who is making it and who is going to fall out and what does your top eight look like come round 24? Um, Well, I think for starters, I think the top four is locked. So I think Collingwood, Port Adelaide, Brisbane, Melbourne, in, in whatever order that sort of ends up being, I reckon that's pretty locked. Um, now this is where, where it gets interesting because you have um, St. Kilda, Essendon and Bulldogs all on 32 points, so eight wins. And I think St. Kilda looking at their fixture, it's fairly easy sort of as, as much as sort of you want to – create the narrative that they're going to drop out of finals in a similar position to last year and in a similar position, in a similar way to Carlton did as well. I think with their fixture, they play quite a few teams out below them and I find it hard 
to not see him, you know, winning six, seven, even eight of their last sort of um, nine or so games. So I reckon they've got a fairly easy fixture. Um, Essendon, big question marks again. Shocking loss to, to Freer after sort of seeing what they dished up against GWS the week prior. Will they make it? I personally think that they will, uh, which leaves us with two more spots in the eight. Next is the Dogs, um, and they are coming off the bye, but I don't think that they're sort of they're, um, geez, I'm, I'm lost for words again. I don't think that their form before the bye was sort of anything to sort of uh, suggests that they're going to be there at the end of the year. So I probably have the dogs missing out at this stage. So that, that keeps another spot uh, locked in there. Uh, next we have the crows. Uh, I reckon the crows will make it. I reckon they're playing some exciting footy. I reckon considering sort of where they've been last few years after losing um, the grand final and the, you know, the camp and the whole saga attached with that, I reckon it'll be a great story if we see the Crows making finals. And I'm fairly confident that they sort of will. But they've been playing some good footy. So that leaves just one spot. Dogs out. Who comes in? Geelong, Gold Coast, I think, and Richmond are the three main contenders who I think will be about there. I don't think Sydney can make it. I don't think Fro can make it, GWS or even... Carlton as much as it sort of pains me to say. Um, Gold Coast, I think, have been too inconsistent this year. I think Richmond, have <laughs> their form under Andrew McColton has been sort of pretty remarkable considering we weren't expecting it after Dimmer was sacked. And then you have Geelong who made what won the premiership last year. You're expecting them to bounce back based on the quality of their list and the experience which they have and the you know high-pressure games and the games with high stakes, I reckon Geelong will make it over Richmond. So I've, I've been talking for ages, but I reckon at the end of the day, I'm going to say doggies drop out and the cats come in. What do you think? All right. So I'm going to go back to the top with where you started. Um, I'm going to take it a step further. I think the top two is locked in. Um Again, it's probably going to come down to when Port and Collingwood play each other in the uh, back end of the season as to who who finishes first and second. But I think we can quite confidently say that the two qualifying finals in the first week of finals will be uh, held at the MCG in the Adelaide Oval for Port Adelaide. Um, with then Melbourne and Brisbane sort of filling in third and fourth. I don't see anyone from outside um, outside the four at the moment jumping in. Um, and I think there's a, probably a clear gap as well between the top four teams and everyone else at the moment as well. This is where it gets interesting, and I'm probably going to sort of speak first to the teams I don't think will make finals. And I think you sort of mentioned it, Ash, DWS, they're just not sort of in that, that phase yet. And Gold Coast, they've got a tough run home. Um, for the last nine games, I don't think they'll get close. Sydney won't either. Um, I think the combination of just being too far behind, um, you know, they've got an interesting run home as well. Injuries to older players, they don't have a back line. I think they're sort of going to get found out in the back end of the season. They'll miss as well. Carlton, sorry, Ash. Um, again, they're just too far behind. You know, they're 
what are they, five and a half wins at the moment, and you're probably projecting 13 wins to make the eight. That's pretty much running the gauntlet for the rest of the year. So sorry, Ash. It's got Richmond finishing at 11th. Um, now, sort of to what you said, now Richmond is one that I could see making a run a, and a real run into finals. Now, I think a lot of it is hinging on Tom Lynch. Tom Lynch has obviously been injured since the early stages of the season with a broken foot. Um, if Tom Lynch can come back and give Richmond a good four or five games at the back end of the season, I think they will be there or thereabouts. But he's still listed as long term on their injury list. So I don't, you know, they can rely on him, which also means I don't think Richmond will make the finals. Now, the last couple of spots are really, really interesting. I'll go back to saying 13 wins is what will probably get you in. Um, and a superior um, percentage. So I'm now going to go back to fifth. I've got the Bulldogs. Now, obviously, different to you, Ash. I, I'm i probably still bullish on the Bulldogs. I think, um, sure, their football's been a bit hit and miss, but they love playing at Marvel, and they've got enough match winners in there with Bontempelli and Trelaw and Libertore and Tim English in the ruck. Their backline solid enough. So I think holding up in these next nine games, and hold on to a spot in the eight. My projections have got them fifth. Sixth is Geelong. Now, you can never write off a champion and you can never write off Geelong. They've got five of their last nine games down at Cadinia Park, and I know they've been a little bit hit and miss down there this year, but they showed last weekend against Melbourne that, you know, when they need to turn it on, they can. And if they bank those five games um, down at Geelong, which I'm expecting them to do, then they're probably close to a lot. Now, seven and eight is very, very interesting, and I've tried my hardest to take my Crows cap off and be as you know as neutral as possible. So I've got St Kilda finishing in seventh spot. I think going back to what you said before, Ash, it's a combination of the fact that St Kilda's gone through their hardest stretch of the fixture and they've landed where they are now, and they've got a quite a soft fixture um, coming up. Games against West Coast, North Melbourne, Hawthorne, Gold Coast teams that they realistically should be uh, winning and banking uh, those games to get into the finals. Um, and nervously, I've, I do have the Crows finishing eight. I've got them sliding into 13 wins, which gets them in, but only on percentage above also Essendon and Fremantle. So I think, you know, a game in a couple of weeks between the Crows and Essendon is crucial to sort of decide those tiebreakers potentially. But ultimately, however the ladder pans out, I think it's going to come down to percentage, whether it's you're in the A or you're not, or whether you host a home final in the first week of finals, it's going to come down to the wire. And, Ash, you know what? Like, there's nine rounds to go, and this is why I'm so excited. So we will see where we land on our predictions in nine weeks' time because we will listen back to this and we will come back to this when we wrap up the season. Now, I wanted to end the podcast this afternoon or tonight, rather, on a fun little note. Now, obviously, you know, Damien Hardwick has stepped aside from his Richmond job and he's gone to America and had some fun in, you know, pubs in wherever he's been. And he's come back and he's, you know, drinking beer and saluting the crowd at the MCG. He appeared on Dylan, oh, sorry, Dill and Friends podcast during the week and gave listeners an insight into his mental state and where he, he's at currently and the fact that he wants to coach again. Ash, now my question to you is, will Damien Hardwick be coaching in 2024 in the AFL? And if yes, where will he be coaching? Um, I think he will be at a club in 2024. I don't think he'll be coaching. I think I personally think that a position sort of similar to um, 
like a head of football or director of coaching sort of sort of thing is a lot more suited to him. Um, we saw Brett Radden sort of at North Melbourne before he took over the job from Clarko, sort of fall under a similar similar role. Alan Richardson, after he was at um, sacked from St Kilda, I think at Melbourne now he's in, in a similar sort of role. So I think it, it's a bit of a trend now where we're seeing coaches sort of who enjoy the game, still have a passion for the game and coaching. I, I think something like that, you know, potentially Carlton where they need a senior assistant or someone to give a bit of guidance and, 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 an, and an extra voice to boss. I think something like that would be crucial. And I'd love, you know, bring in Hardwick in a director of coaching role, similar to that. And also have him there as a sort of safeguard in case Voss doesn't work out. So it provides a bit of uh, reassurance there. Um, if he was to be, look, I reckon Port made the most sense earlier on in the year, but since they've sort of gone on their massive win streak, it's, it's hard to see Ken Hinckley sort of being sacked or, or not being at Port in 2024. Potentially, is there still some sort of a role there for Dimmer in Port in a lower position? I'm not exactly sure, but I'm, I'm I think you'd have to be 90% up there that um, Damien Hardwick will be coaching or at an AFL club in 2024. Yeah, I think you probably sort of stole my train of thought in regards to the fact that I think he will be at a football club but potentially not in a coaching capacity, whether it's, you know, in the box as like a coach's coach or in the football department. I think he, regardless of where he goes, he does have value to add. I will, though, throw out two thoughts that I think the two coaches right now under the most... I guess you could say for their job is one Adam Simpson for obvious reasons. The club has has not wavered on the fact that um, you know Simpson will be there long term or at least you know in the foreseeable future. And I feel bad, but we bring it up every single year when they drop off at the back end of the season. But it's Gold Coast now. You know I'm not sure about you, Ash, but I'd hate to have um, someone of the stature of Damien Hardwick come in as an assistant coach because I'd be looking over my shoulder and I'd be sweating every single day until I lost my job because he is arguably one of the greatest coaches of the um, you know the modern era. Um, so that would be a daunting prospect. But it is very interesting to sort of see that he's at least willing to commit to football again. So, Ash, round 16 is upon us. Back to nine games, a Thursday night blockbuster, I would say, at Gabba starting on for, um, Thursday night, footy, Thursday night footy, exciting. Brisbane and Richmond, um, any thoughts before we uh, before we head off on the round coming up in the run home? I think we've got a few blockbusters this week. So the, the Thursday night game should be really interesting. The Friday night game should be really interesting. And then also the Saturday night game with um, Port and uh, Essendon should be uh, equally as interesting. So a few nice games coming up there and then a relaxing Sunday watching West Coast get thrashed and GWS probably getting thrashed and hopefully Hawthorne getting thrashed by Carlin. Although the sort of record of teams coming off their bye at the moment is pretty, pretty grim. So my hopes, my hopes are high, my expectations are low. What about you? Oh, look, I, I think I'm just happy that this Thursday night football and we're back to nine games. I think I'm going to keep it nice and simple. Good to be back to the full fixture. So um, I guess that's all from us tonight. Uh, please tune in on Thursday night. The uh, the crew will come in and do a, th- a review for the upcoming round as well. Um, so please keep your eyes and ears out for that episode. Apart from that, that's all from us tonight. So, Ash, thank you very much. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening. 
please subscribe to our channel, so Mojo Sports AFL on Instagram, and please find us on wherever you get your music and uh, podcasts from. And uh, we'll hear from you next time. Thank you. Thank you.